Hi. Hi. I'm Evan. I'm Addie. And you are listening to the Speaking English podcast, the place to be for anyone who says to themselves, I want to watch more movies or I want to read more books. Here you are in the, in the, in the right place. Hmm. Um, today's episode 97. And uh, we're, <laughs> we're doing our January wrap up. Welcome to wow. it. Welcome to it. Here's a fun fact for you. This is our longest break or like period between wrap up episodes. Six oh. or five, five full episodes between. This is the sixth one since our December wrap up because we did that one a week early. And this one's like not necessarily a week late, but it's uh, it fell on the back half on a week that was in the middle. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah there's never been this much time between wrap ups. I've never watched more movies, so that would make a lot of sense, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Um, so we're, we're starting off 2022. But before we get into that stuff, how has your week been? My week has been really nice, honestly. Not that much to report on, but it was really good. We got a snow day in the middle of the week because it snowed like 10 inches up here. And... Um, my roommates and I inflated like an inflatable raft boat type of situation. And then we attached it to the back of a car and we pulled it around my neighborhood. <laughs> nice. And we had like the most fun snow day I've ever had in my life, maybe. So Incredible. that was a really great time. And um, yeah, other than that, I was just doing school and it was a mostly, mostly productive and pretty good week of school. I feel like I'm like back into the swing of things now for the semester. And it was good. Nice. It's all coming together. It's all coming together. Also, since it was the last week of January, I wanted to check in with you about the goals that I set, my New Year's resolutions for the pod. And I just want you and anybody listening to know that I have succeeded in all of them this month. I did go to the movies at least once a week this month, and I read my Penguin Orange that I selected for January. Go, Addie. Awesome. Excellent work. Thank you. Uh, we also had a snow day, and uh, I had to work that day and the next day too. No, no, the day be- the night before when it started snowing, I was at oh. work, and then I had to work the evening of the snow day as well. Oh. I'm sorry you didn't get a snow day from work. That's kind of a bummer. Ah, it was it was pretty fun. But, like no one came in all the time. It was fun. I don't know. I just am <laughs> enjoying my job so much of these days because it gets me out of the house and I can just be silly. And I don't know. That's awesome. Make some money. Yeah, that's really really cool. So yeah, I have to get I have to get serious once I graduate. But for now, I'm I'm really enjoying having like just like a fun part time job. Yeah, I'm really getting the most out of it. I'm I'm realizing that now. I'm I'm just having a blast. That is so cool. I love hearing that. Good for you. (laughs) Um. So yeah, this week, I guess not a whole lot happened. Um, cause I didn't, I didn't make the most out of my snow day. I took it to kind of just chill and hang out, Yeah, which is good for me. I don't know. It was nice. Good. good. That's awesome. Um, yeah, but then I was, I, I tried to do stuff yesterday and didn't really do too much, but I don't know. It's just been a, a mellow ish kind of week. But that's yeah. Okay. Yeah. Me too. For the most part. Um, but here I am, here we are for the wrap up and I'm excited to get into it. Me too. I read three books this month. Wow. That I have to talk about. And that's not including the Hundred Years of Solitude, which is like most. Wow. Good for you. So, uh, yeah. So hopefully I can keep that up because that was one of my goals. And I've been doing good about reading. And uh, I wanted to uh, keep it up. Yeah. I hope you do. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk about the books first as always. Um, and, uh, I, we can, we could probably go one movie per person because there's a few that I'm not going to talk about. I also don't actually really want to talk about everything that I watched. Okay. I only feel, I watched 15 movies this month. I'd like nice. the rest of the show. I only feel strongly enough about six of them though. Okay. Um, but yeah, how many, do you have any books to talk about? Yeah, I have two. Okay. Oh, I guess I, that means I should go first. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Uh, okay. So the first book I read this month is called The Power of the Powerless. It's uh, like, a, I guess, an essay um, by Václav Havel, who is, if you, he's the guy in the Czech Republic. He was um, the first president of Czechoslovakia after uh, they, after they became a democracy again. Um, and then he was also the first president of the Czech Republic. Mm. Um, when they became their own thing. And everyone in Czechia, at least in Prague, that's where I was, uh, absolutely adores him. He's it, it really kind of cool. Um, I don't know. Everyone just loves Václav Havel. Nice. Um, which is awesome. And I, and I wanted to read his stuff. And it, it, it's. Um, I think everyone should read this because not only is it uh, very applicable to his current his situation, this came out in the 70s, uh, but it also is like very applicable to just life in general. And especially like I found um, important in uh, the, the um, realm of today's like digital society, I guess. Mm. Uh, but basically, it's the idea, he, he defines the idea of living within the truth, um, which is just kind of like uh, a little hard to explain, but um, he uses the example of hanging up a sign, like someone hangs up a sign in their in their store that says, workers of the world unite, and everyone has these signs, but you're not, what are you saying in putting that up? It's It's not it's not a statement that you're making. It's, it's like to conform with what everyone else is doing. Mm. Um, and he, he described the kind of communist bloc in the seventies as this, he used the term post totalitarianism, mm -hmm. um, which is that there's no one central dictator that's like controlling everything, but everyone is so conditioned to these um, like circumstances that mm. if someone steps out from what they should be doing, there's like pushback against that. Mm -hmm. So everyone's living on like the prevailing ideology. And so the only way to break free of that is living within the truth, like your own personal truth and um, doing things like for their own sake of like being your own person, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and it's such an interesting concept because the people who, who were like directly affected by this, like the reference he uses, uh, this kind of got started because there was a band who got banned <laughs> um, because I guess they didn't like what they were playing or something like that and uh, so it's like all these modes of expression that kind of step out from what everyone else is doing that were causing problems to the regi existing regime but who but which Havel says is like is what it's all about uh, he another example he used was like someone who who really takes pride in like a, a brewery a, a brewer really mm -hmm. takes pride in making the best beer and uh, refuses when the higher ups say, no, use these ingredients because that's, you know, what we're standardizing and going with. He says no. And then he gets fired and gets pushed back. So it's, it's this like quiet protest of just living within the truth, which I think definitely applies to that situation, but is also really cool to apply to our own lives. And uh, I got to thinking about it and I thought, you know, this is what I just mentioned about that. I really like working at Cold Stone these days. And I think that's part of my own like living within the truth is that, you know, I take pride in like, I'm really good at my job and I just like doing it for its own sake and being good about it. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't know. It's so cool. I think everyone should read this. I, I universally recommend it. It's like a weird one to rate because it's technically like an essay. It's not really a right. novel or anything. Um, but uh, I, I, if I, I would still give it like the maximum rating. Uh, and I think you'd probably be able to find the whole thing online. Like this is a good 140 pages. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it'll like be available in just like a document online, like most short stories that we talk about are, but uh, I think everyone should check it out. And I think it's really important with um, in today's day and age with all this uh, stuff on social media, because I think it seems like uh, there's a lot of these kind of communities that get established and like ways of thinking aren't as like physically oppressive as obviously as like this, the situations uh, that he's talking about, but still kind of follow the same logic of like, we just do this because that's what everyone does. And mm -hmm. I think it's important to kind of think about like, um, 
doing your own thing and like your own personal reasons for doing something and what you get out of it. And I think that's, and I, I, uh, I think that's important for what we're talking about here on the podcast too, Mm -hmm. that we want to read and watch the stuff that are interesting to us. And, um, I like with this, it's, it's like a, like a space in a, in a community where, you know, you can talk about it and we'll, we'll listen and there should be a discussion about it. Even if it's not something that is in our own, uh, like interest areas, I think Mm -hmm. just the, the, the fact that someone is interested about it is more than enough for us to kind of be like, okay, that's cool. Right. Why do you like it? And even if we don't, we'll still like give it a try and see kind of, I don't know. So I think it's, I think it's really cool. And I think that the, the, the things in my life that I'm most happy with are those that are, uh, open spaces, I guess, and embrace the, uh, the everyone's like individual perspective. I think that's cool. And I, and I think this is very important um, and everyone should read it. That is really cool. I definitely want to check it out. I'm so intrigued. Yeah. You can borrow my copy next Thank time. Thank you. Yeah, I would love to. Um, cause yeah, he's like, he's, uh, his life is super interesting. He's a super interesting character to uh, look into because it makes so much sense why all the Czechs really like him mm-hmm. because he was a politician that didn't care about politics <laughs> and, uh, he was just so well liked that he was able to, you know, get into office and he just wow. never changed as a person. Like there was some like political defeats that he faced because he was like, no, I'm not going to like. I don't know. He, he, I don't know. He's just a super cool guy. And uh, it cool. makes sense why everyone in uh, in Prague absolutely adored. So. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look into him. That is really interesting. Um, okay, the totally changing gears. The first book that I read this month is called A Winter's Promise. And it's the first book in this fantasy series called the Mirror Visitor series. Um, and it is about this girl in a fantasy kingdom who can travel through mirrors to other places and not among other powers. <laughs> and everybody in the world has fun, creative powers like that. And I read it because it is my dear friend Lizzie's favorite book of all time. And she highly recommended it to me. And I did not like it at all. <laughs> so I feel, I feel so bad. It's like so hard when a person who you really like a lot, like is so excited to share something with you and then you just don't connect to it the same way at all. But yeah, I was, Oh, also this, like when I watched Magnolia, exactly. Like when you watch (laughs) Magnolia, um, (laughs) this is by Christelle Davos. I forgot to say that earlier, but it's French and it was like translated to English. Um, yeah, Lizzie pitched it to me as like this very whimsical, an enchanting story but that like also it touches on like justice and like has these deeper more complex themes but that's explored in this like other world and it makes it really cool and I was so intrigued by all of that and then I just didn't do any of that stuff (laughs) it was just like very very tropey and super cliche and predictable and boring and also like I feel like you can't even fully get into the story when you only read this book, like it's almost one of those series where it seems like you have to keep going. Like this ends mm. very much in like a, you, you don't get to know what happens until you read the second book. Like even kind of like it should have all just been one book. I did not subscribe to the idea that you can get away with having an incomplete book. If it's part of a series, like every book in a series should be solid in and of itself. Otherwise just make it one, one book. That's so I just don't like that. Yeah. So anyways, I give this person <laughs> I don't recommend. <laughs> Man. Um, I don't know. I would say the Lord of the Rings is it's doesn't tell a complete story in each book, mm-hmm. but it also kind of advertises that because it's books one and two. And then the next book is three and four and um, five and six. So it's like, I don't know. Interesting. That's just I, the first thing I thought of. Cause you said that and I was like, Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let me think of my favorite fantasies. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was not it. I, there were some good parts. Like I said, like the the powers of all the different characters and kind of the world that was built was pretty interesting and, and just kind of unique, I guess, um, which was cool to read about, but not cool enough. 
<laughs> not cool enough. <laughs> There's a character in One Piece who can travel through mirrors. Cool. I really like that idea. I, I think it's very cool. But it is cool. Yeah. Um, let's see. The second book I read was called The Lifespan of a Fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one I actually read for a class. It was a fairly short read. Um, but basically this guy wrote an essay. His name is John Degada. And uh, as nonfiction, he wrote a nonfiction essay and submitted it. But uh, he, I guess he's like a known guy and he's known to uh, stretch the truth in some ways. So this, this magazine that was going to publish it hired this fact checker to check his facts on the essay. And so the book is super interesting because you see it's the original essay and all of the notes that the fact checker put, as well as like correspondences between the author and the fact checker. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just really interesting because it really gets into kind of what we mean when we say nonfiction and like what that actually is. Because they really get into it and they have very differing ideas on like what the purpose should be. Um, so it's really cool read. It, it was, uh, I, I did read it for a class. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was, it was another one of those that was kind of like, I don't know, like I, I, I'm only reading this because it got assigned, but and, okay. it, and it, it does work within the confines of the class because the class is about fiction and reality, isn't it? Is the title of the class? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is interesting to think about like what what qualifies as truth or like as nonfiction, mm-hmm. um, and uh, kind of like tests where you stand on it and who you, you agree with or don't. But yeah, it was an interesting read. But uh, I guess I don't have a whole lot more than that to say about it. Cool. It's a yeah. Um, the second book that I read this month was my first Penguin Orange of the year. If you didn't listen to my New Year's resolutions in terms of reading and watching things, one of mine is to read the whole collection of Penguin Orange. uh, Penguin Oranges. (laughs) That is all they're called. (laughs) There's 12 of them, so I'm reading one every month. And I read my January one, and it is called Ceremony, and it's by Leslie Marmon Silco. And it is about this character named Teo who's a native american veteran as he's like returning from fighting in world war ii and it kind of it's kind of a short story mostly about him dealing with the the grief and like the trauma that comes from being in the war and also then the oppression that native americans really often face and then kind of the unique intersection between those two things and like existing as both a veteran and a Native American in America all at once. And it just really tackles a lot of of really important stuff. And it's also very uh, poetic and like, like lyrically written. Um, It kind of intertwines Teo's story, not in any sort of chronological order. It's, it's almost like Teo, it's like paragraphs from Teo's life come up as he thinks about them, but he's not even narrating it. So it's really kind of a strange, Hmm. like it's like, it's like third person, but it's also very much Teo's stream of consciousness. Um, Which I don't think I've ever read any other narration that's like that. So it's really challenging, honestly, but. uh That does kind of remind me of uh, Virginia Woolf. Hmm. I read Mrs. Dalloway by her and it's, it seems a little similar. It's been a little bit since I've read it, but it seems a little similar to what you described. So no, I've been wanting to check read out that. some Virginia Woolf. Yeah, I need to do that. Um, yeah, so so part of the story is Teo's thoughts, kind of <laughs> Teo's, <laughs> and then it's also interwoven the whole time throughout with poetry and um some native american folklore stories that it's really only one native american folklore story that's kind of split up throughout the book and um it's so cool like the the format of the story just really really lends itself to kind of how how vague uh teo's or maybe vague is not the right word but how uh, like scattered teo's own thoughts are in his own grieving process is and and kind of like what living your life might be like when you're pretty consistently having these like PTSD flashback type of situations, you know? Um, 
yeah, I, I it was just so cool and so unique. And I don't want to give it a rating yet because I'm still just trying to process it so much, but it was so like valuable, kind of the, the like cultural insights into like some Native American perspectives on things were so really so cool to read as somebody who is like, doesn't really know all that much about that um, type of stuff. And it was just so beautiful. And also it's a really hopeful story, even though it's also very, very sad. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's mainly about Teo kind of like returning to his cultural roots and, and returning to nature, I guess, to heal from what he's been through. And um, it's just, it's very beautiful and very touching and really important. And I, I think I'd recommend it to anybody. I think it's really important and anybody could get a lot out of it and learn a lot of really valuable things. Um, but it is also really challenging to read. I'll just, I'll just throw that out there. And I don't think that everybody will appreciate the like non-linear narrative. It is really, <laughs> it's really very non-linear. <laughs> like it's not even enough to say like, I, I don't know that there's like another word for it, but it's like each paragraph is like a different timeline, different people, and there's no like clear transition. So it really just takes a lot of attention to read, I guess. So I don't know that I'd recommend it to anybody at any given time in your life. You really have to put the effort into this one. But if you do, I think it's so worth it and so rewarding. Awesome. Sounds really cool. I really, I liked it a lot. Nice. The penguin, the penguin orange. Penguin oranges. Off to a good start. I know. I'm so excited. Next month, hopefully, when I read my second penguin orange, I'll be able to comment a little on why I think <laughs> all of these books are like included together in one collection. I really just have this goal of like connecting them somehow. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be connections to the. Uh, yeah. I'm realizing now that all three of my books are technically nonfiction. Nice. Um, this third one is by Haruki Murakami, um, who we've, we've like uh, like thrown around the concept of a podcast Hall of Fame, but I feel like he would be in it if there was. Yeah, absolutely. One. Um, this is the fourth book of his that I've read. All of them have been since we started the podcast, and we've read two of his for our book club. I think he might be the only author that we've read two books. I'm pretty sure he is. Well, uh, but yeah, anyways, this was a nonfiction uh, about the Tokyo gas attacks of 1995, I think. We read to Otessa Moshfeg. Ah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, sorry. That's the other one. No, you're good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was about the Tokyo gas attacks. And it's, for the most part, it's, it's made up of just interviews that he conducted with the people who were victims of it. Um, and so I, I wonder, like, I, I just was thinking now, of, I hadn't thought about rating it yet, but I, and I'm, I'm trying to think of a rating now, because I think this is one that I, that I would. Um, and so it's an interesting thing of like, how much did he take part in it? And it's interesting because each interview subject, he writes a little paragraph about like his observations about them. Um, and then he's obviously selective in what he includes from the interview, but it's all from their own words. Um, and then in between like sections, he kind of puts his own comments on stuff. So it's really, it's, it's like very interesting to see kind of um, the interaction and, and different thoughts that, that different people have uh, regarding, you know, like the events and the perpetrators and the government response and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think the subtitle is something along the lines of, uh, uh, the Tokyo gas attack and the Japanese psyche or something like that. And I think it's really interesting because you get, first of all, you get a lot of insight into some of the decisions that he makes in his novels. There's like similar themes from what we see, you know, with these, uh, so the, the gas attack was perpetrated by, they're called the Aum Shinriku, which is like a cult. And like a religious cult, and it turned into, um, yeah, they they went ahead and they did this. And uh, I know in in one Q, there's a lot of things that carried over from one Q84, which I had just read uh, Mm -hmm. recently. I think I even talked about it last month for wrap up. And uh, um, there's like interesting connections here and references. Um, and the second half, it was more less than a half, maybe like the second third or like the last third of the book. 
was actually talking to members of the cult who either uh, like no one that was directly involved, but uh, people that were um, in the cult and or were at the time, some still are and some kind of moved on and didn't want to do it. So it, that really kind of ties it together and you get all these interesting perspectives. Uh, and I think over the course of like reading all these interviews, you really get a, get a sense of kind of like what was going on in Japan at the time. So it was, it was really interesting. Yeah. That sounds super interesting. Man, you got a lot of really thought-provoking stuff this month. Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess I'll give this one a three out of five. I think I would recommend it. Um, I just, the, the thing is that I don't know how relevant it is for today. Um, so I, I don't know if it's like universally recommendable or like essential for like getting a sense of how things are now. Uh, but it, it really works super well as a uh, kind of, um, what's the word, time capsule uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, if you're fans of Murakami, I think definitely check it out as well. So Thanks. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So that's what we read this month. A good month. Good month for reading. Mm-hmm. Movie I have to talk about this month is Licorice Pizza, right? We haven't actually like talked about that yet. Um, did you last month? I'm trying to think. I watched it on December 27th, which I okay. think... I can't remember if we did. No, that. we that would have because we did on Christmas Day. So yeah, so I have. Okay, yeah, let's hear about it. Let's hear All what right. you got. I, I guess Liquor I thought that you'd already talked about it. I have, we, we have kind of like talked about it a yeah, little. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I couldn't remember if it actually got like wrapped up. But you also watched it this month, right? Like you're that's gonna... correct. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so I watched Liquor's Pizza because I'm really into Paul Thomas Anderson right now, and I enjoyed it. And I don't feel like there's not that much to say about it. Uh, every other Paul Thomas Anderson movie that I've seen so far, I feel like kind of had a lot to say, maybe with the exception of Inherent Vice, but not even really. But this one definitely has the least to say. So there's nothing to say. <laughs> it's got some stuff to say, but I feel like for the most part, it was just fun. Like it was just sort of like a like a passion project for Paul Thomas Anderson almost. I know that a lot of it is pretty like autobiographical kind of about him actually growing up in California and sort of like the wacky shenanigans of that time. Um, and it, it was super fun. Like I really enjoyed it. I, I think I'd give it like an eight out of 10. I love the vibe and I really love Alana Hyam. Um, this is like, I th- I'm pretty sure this is her first movie role ever. And she was the star and she did so good. <laughs> like she was just such like a cute, awkward little character. And it's definitely a very kind of strange and unconventional and, and maybe even problematic relationship that they have going on at the center of this movie. But both of the actors like did such a phenomenal job of just portraying these like extremely strange characters in this extremely strange dynamic and i like that about it a lot (laughs) nice (laughs) yeah i would say i felt the same way i don't know if it like i I guess i wouldn't i don't know if it bothered you either but i would say i don't think it really bothered me if if it didn't really have much to say no me neither um i kind of like that sometimes me too i don't want to get too bogged down and yeah sometimes i like to just watch a fun movie and this is a fun movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was really well done and uh, just vibes. I don't know. It was interesting. It was all split up into different sections, you know, like, uh, which was the only thing that I wasn't sure about. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, you have these, and, uh, because on the one hand, it's like cool that you have like these little episodes and you have, you know, the, the, the main characters moving forward and you see them, mm-hmm. you know, start to grow up. But also there was like, certain things and characters that I wanted to like keep going or like come back. Cause there was just so much fun. Right. Um, so that's the, that was the only thing that I was like a little conflicted on. Other than that, I was just having a great time. Yeah. Yeah. It was just kind of strange and fun. And I liked it. I think we talked about this when we talked about Magnolia, but I really like that Paul Thomas Anderson does this thing where 
he kind of features these moments that really feel like they're about to become high stakes mm-hmm. and then they don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that happened a handful of times during this movie. Like they're just, the characters kind of get themselves into some trouble that seems like it could be a really big deal or become like a major turning point for the plot. And then it just doesn't, <laughs> it kind of just fades away. And I just, I just really kind of like that. I can't really think of like another director who does that as much as he does. And it's unique and kind of funny. Yeah. And I think it works out in this case for sure. Um, and I think it's, it's might I might even say that it's kind of essential to what it is because at the end of the day, it seems like a collection of memories from yeah, it does. like a certain amount of time. So like, it, to me, I would even feel weird if like things kept elevating. And this is like a thing that I talked about with the Magnolia episode. Is like I don't know why certain things work or don't work, but I think a lot of it is like what I get, like what I want to get out of the project, maybe, which like feels unfair of me. Um, and so, like that being said, I, I might um, benefit from some rewatches because I think I haven't seen any PT Anderson movies twice. Only once. Um, so that might help out a little bit. But yeah, I think it, it really worked in this one because it, it felt it felt right for the project. And uh, yeah. yeah. I also gave that one an 8 out of 10. Nice. There also was like less yelling in it than That's most true. of yeah. P.T. Anderson's <laughs> movies. It was a quieter one. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. There were a couple of moments. I really yeah. I laughed a lot. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Some of the best movie outfits I've ever seen. I must have <laughs> really loved the fashion of this movie. The fits. Um, fits. Yes, I think I have about 12 that I want to talk about. So we can do two, one to two. Cool. Um, so I rewatched The Long Goodbye was the first movie that I watched this year. Nice. Um, which I, I feel like I've talked about a lot, so I might not need to get into it. I just can't recommend this one enough. This one has some pretty cool movie outfits too. Maybe not quite as stylish, but it just definitely like captures a certain vibe. Um, and basically the premise is that it's like a noir movie. Well, it, it's adapted from a Raymond Chandler novel, The Long Goodbye, uh, except it displaces kind of this, this uh, hard-boiled detective character of Philip Marlowe as Elliot Gould in the 70s. So it's like set in the 70s, but with a character that's really kind of from the 40s so i think that makes it really interesting and there's a lot of uh, shenanigans that that uh, happen and this is this one's just so good i could say so much about it and it's like a personal favorite of mine nice. um so i thought it was a great one to start off the year with uh yeah and then i watched cleo from nine uh, five to seven uh, which is the first agnes varda movie that i watched and uh, she's everyone's favorite <laughs> she's a this is a key figure in the in the french new wave um and continued to do stuff uh and, and i think she died recently it's been a, it's been a little bit now but mm-hmm. uh, i remember when she died it was like a big deal and uh yeah so i've always wanted to watch some of her stuff and i finally saw this might be her most uh well-known picture but it's cleo from five to seven basically it documents this lady's life um in the two hours that she's awaiting her um, cancer tests. Mm-hmm. She thinks she has cancer and she took some tests to see about it. And uh, we just kind of follow her and uh, see the different aspects of her life uh, through that kind of very specific time. And uh, I think it's it's done incredibly well in, in how it kind of just like follows her and introduces the, all the important elements in her life in a very kind of natural way. Um, which I mean, obviously, doesn't feel like completely natural because it's like when when in my life is every important person kind of just shown up, but it's it's not done in, a, in an annoying or like I don't know, it just it feels right and it feels mm-hmm. done super well. So yeah, I uh, recommend and I give it a nine out of ten. Nice. Um, the second movie that I watched this month is Don't Look Up the new Adam McKay movie that has like such a star studded cast, namely Leonardo DiCaprio and Meryl Streep and Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
Um, and I got uh, you. <laughs> this movie is like so controversial. Like I've been just seeing people talk about it quite a bit. I guess not so much right now, but more at the beginning of the month when it first came out. Um, some people love it so much because it is such an accurate portrayal of modern America. I, let me clarify. It's about like a comet that is about to strike earth. And then this like political battle to get citizens of America to believe that the comet is actually going to come and kill everybody and people. And it just, yeah, it becomes like this like bipartisan political debate about like whether or not this comet is real or is of like genuine concern. And it very much is. And I, the people who love it, love it because it's so it's just so accurate about like how politics actually works. And it was all supposed to be a metaphor for climate change. And I guess it was even written like pre COVID, but if you, you watch it now and not knowing that it like, it's just like exactly how <laughs> like messaging around COVID has mm. gone and debating around the pandemic. Like it's kind of crazy how well it's like paralleled mm. real life. And so the people who love it, love it because of that. But a lot of people really hate this movie <laughs> because it's not very good. <laughs> Even though it's like extremely like crazy accurate. Uh, it is also just a little bit annoying and uh, it's not that funny. Like, it's just very, I, I don't know who the audience is supposed to be because it's so clear that anybody who kind of like needs to hear the messaging of it is going to hate it because it's kind of mm. just really harshly making fun of it. So it almost just feels like it's like this just kind of ego trip for people who are on like the right side of it or whatever to be like, yeah, I'm one of the smart ones. So I, just, I don't think it's actually going to accomplish what it wanted to. And I think that's why people really don't like it. Or also that it's just like not a very good like movie in general. Like if it didn't have any ap- application to real life, it probably wouldn't be very good at all. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Some of it's kind of funny. Some of the jokes are like, pr- are, like pretty funny, but for the most part, no, it's corny. Yeah. Um, and it also is like weirdly hypocritical for these like giant elitist disconnected like A-list celebrities to be like preaching about this type of stuff when it's just sort of like, I don't know, you contribute, like you, you guys contribute <laughs> more yeah. than the average citizen does to something like climate change or like you just don't, you shouldn't have a platform on these types of things. I don't know. There's like... Uh, if you're if you're gonna make a movie where like the whole goal is to make a political statement then it it like has to be critiqued if it's not gonna do that very well you know what i mean or it's not gonna send the right message to the right people like i just don't think it's gonna actually accomplish its goal so that's kind of a bummer so i gave it six out of ten because i'm kind of in the middle i thought it was funny how accurate it was and I also don't think it'll ultimately do anything. Mm. And it was only kind there of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, really don't like Adam McKay. So I probably, really? <laughs> yeah. Ever since he tried to be like, uh, I don't know, a serious filmmaker. <laughs> I liked his stuff when he made uh, the silly stuff. Yeah. But it just, yeah. I don't know. He just seemed very out of touch to me. Like I... Like, yeah. Well, I don't know. This, no, maybe that it's like a yeah. weird kind of thing. I don't know. It is. It's weird. It's like hard to hard to put your finger on. I mean, because yeah, I don't want to say out of touch if you're saying that like you get so much right about like how yeah. you are. But it, to, you could also say that it's out of touch to like to then have so, these celebrities like be the the means by which you present your message like that i that's just kind of a weird way to go about politics <laughs> hmm. so, i don't know i i don't i really just understand both the critiques but also the praise yeah. that he is getting i think i'm right in the middle okay the end the end <laughs> um okay uh let's see the next thing i watched is called 21 jump street i had never seen it i uh i I had only seen like clips on on cable. They show this one on TV a lot. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I saw that it was on Netflix. So I said, I'm finally gonna watch it, and it was really good. I really liked it. It's pretty it, funny. It was really funny and uh, and uh, a little self aware enough to like 
be okay. <laughs> you know, like, haha. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was a good one. And I, I, I didn't realize this one came out so long ago. It came out 10 years ago. Yeah, kind of crazy. And, uh, Still so, like, quotable. Like, this movie has, like, really held up in terms of... yeah. I, I guess like being memorable and the jokes like still being funny. Like every time I see a clip from this resurface, it's still funny. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And like all this stuff about like how high school is different, I think actually was pretty spot on and like continued the way that it said it was going to go. So good for them. I give this one eight out of 10. I think it's a, nice. it's a good one in it. And I'm glad I finally got to watch it. Nice. Uh, and then I watched a new one. This is actually my favorite new movie that I've seen this year so far. Uh, it's called Paper Moon. Um, this is one that another one that I've been meaning to watch for a while, and I finally did because Peter Bogdanovich, the director, actually died. Mm. And uh, he's always a guy that I that I really liked, even though I hadn't seen any of his movies because he's uh, he was like a film history guy, a big cinephile kind of guy, and he'd always show up doing like commentaries, like talking about other people that I really liked. Mm-hmm. It was ah cool. There he is again, Peter Bogdanovich. So I always wanted to watch his movies. Um, and this one specifically, and also the Last Picture Show, uh, which I couldn't find easily available as I could for this mm-hmm. one. And uh, oh man, I really love Paper Moon. It nice. uh, follows this guy who's uh, a bit of a con artist. He kind of just he's, he sells Bibles. Uh, to people who this is just this is how he's first introduced they do multiple cons for the it's memorable how he's introduced because he goes to he looks through the uh, obituaries in the paper and he goes and finds widows and pretends that their dead husbands were buying them bibles uh right before they died <laughs> <laughs> and so he kind of guilts them into buying them that way and uh, it's just i mean it's really quite a charming movie um, but anyways he finds he attends a funeral of um, this lady who has a daughter whom that may or may not be his daughter. And she has nowhere else to go. And she tags along with him in his journeys. And uh, I would say this is a road movie. I'm not super like, I think that's one of like the set out genres. And I don't know a whole lot about it as much as I do some of the other like genre pictures, but uh, I would say this is a road movie and it's just fun seeing all the shenanigans they get into and uh i don't know it's just so charming and so sweet and i love it nine out of ten in this movie named addy is there not there is yes yeah a handful of times in my life people have asked me if i'm named after the girl in paper moon and i'm like no i've never seen that and then they're (laughs) like you have to watch it anyway it's so good it's really good yeah that's been on my list for a while um yeah yeah she's she's the daughter um or may or may not be the daughter. Who's to say? Okay, okay. I, I don't know at the end if it, if they ever if they say one way or another, but it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter in the course of the movie. Thanks. Yeah. All right, your turn. Um. Okay, the next movie I watched was Shiva Baby, which is a 2020 movie by um, Emma Seligman, I think is how you would say it. And I'm thinking that this might be her only movie. Actually, I have no idea, and I shouldn't say that. But anyways, it's a new movie, <laughs> and I watched it. Um, it is. It takes place over the course of a couple hours at a shiva, um, and it is. It centers around this girl who is, I think, in college, or maybe she just graduated college, um, and is kind of just not really sure what she's about to do with her life and uh, kind of struggling and uh, has a sugar daddy and these things all come up pretty frequently throughout. (laughs) And it is so stress inducing. I thought I went into this thinking that it was going to be mostly funny, more funny than anything else. That is not at all the case. (laughs) One letterbox review called this movie uncut gems for hot girls. And I think that is the funniest and most accurate thing that you could possibly say about this it's the same kind of like extremely tense just like non-stop building of anxiety but it's not about any sort of like i don't know actually crazy high stress situation it's just this girl like non-stop being put in these uncomfortable situations and being asked about her life and her future and kind of embarrassing herself and just trying to avoid these like really tense relationship dynamics and stuff and um 
I loved it. It was like so <laughs> clever and so weird and emotional. And I highly recommend <laughs> I gave it an eight out of 10. Awesome. Uncut gems for hot girls. <laughs> so funny to me. <laughs> Uh, the next one I watched this month was called The American Friend. This is Wim Wenders, a uh, German guy, director, who uh, seems like a chill dude, would hang out with. Nice. But uh, I guess this is a, an adaptation of The Talented Mr. Ripley, which is something that I've never heard of. It's a book. It's a series of books by Patricia Highsmith. But uh, I'd never seen any other media, so I didn't know what it was based off of. But anyways... Um, I guess I don't not know a whole lot to say about it. It made lots of impression on me, but not for anything that I can explain. It was just one of those like vibes and mm-hmm. uh, just a Vim Benders type, Vim Benders type beat, you know? Mm-hmm. The, uh, I don't know if anyone is, if anyone is familiar with him, they'll know what I'm talking about, but uh, he's just an artsy German dude. I don't know. <laughs> There's like not a lot that happens and it's very impressionistic and kind of like uh I wouldn't say it's slow cinema, but it's it's kind of close. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. I'm realizing now that maybe this didn't stick with me as much as I thought it did when I first watched it. <laughs> There's like bits and pieces that I kind of don't remember what happened. But uh, mm. anyways, Dennis Hopper is in it. He's the American friend. He's Mr. Ripley. And uh, he makes friends with this guy who's a paint restoration and then they do a heist kind of, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting. But yeah, I I did give it an eight out of 10. Nice. But uh, yeah, I don't know how memorable it was to me now. So maybe I'm, uh, I don't know. (laughs) Um, And then I did finally watch a movie from 2021. That makes it sound like I hadn't seen any, but uh, (laughs) I just feel like I haven't every year. I'm never, I'm never as caught up as most people I know about stuff coming out, but I did watch this one because it looked cool. It's called the hand of God is a Netflix film uh, directed by Paolo Sorrentino, kind of like the, the big guy in Italy, right? Like the big auteur Italy guy right now. And uh, is about kind of his own is semi-autobiographical about growing up in uh, Naples. And uh, at the time where Diego Maradona came to town, who is an important football player, and uh, just uh, kind of about his life and figuring out what he's going to do with it. And I just, I'm a, I'm a sucker for these Italian directors being like, this is about my childhood. It gives off major uh, Evi Toloni vibes uh, mm-hmm. that Fellini did. And uh, Fellini is even a character in this movie because um, he, was, he was a huge influence on Sorrentino. and uh yeah and uh i think a lot of people said that the uh the lead looks like timothy shot like looks like uh italian version of timothy chalamet which i thought was funny (laughs) he hasn't been in uh, like uh anything else that was like super prevalent but uh, i thought he did a good job and i think a lot of it kind of um hinged on him giving a believable performance and i thought he did a really good job and yeah really sweet movie and uh kind of sad in a lot of ways too but i don't know i thought it was really good and I give it an 8 out of 10. And I think I'd have to find the list, but I think it's like my second or third favorite movie from 2021 as of right now. So, oh, nice. Yeah, there you have it. Um, all right. The next movie I watched this month was The Power of the Dog, which is also a 2021 release by director Jane Campion. Um, and it is on Netflix. I think it's a Netflix original. Um, and this one's Uncut Gems for Cowboys. And it is the same type of vibe of just like relentless tension and anxiety building that just never like ceases, just keeps building upon itself. But it's set in the wild, wild west. And it's about these two cowboy brothers and they're both a little bit weird. And it kind of just like throws you into the middle of their dynamic. They're kind of like family and relationship dynamic on this ranch that they operate. And right from the get-go, it is very strange and very tense. And the, as the movie goes on, it kind of very subtly unravels like why, why their relationship dynamic has become like this or why they both behave the way that they do. And I 
think it is a perfect movie. <laughs> this I watched two movies this month that were like a first watch five out of five for me. And this is one of them. And the other one was Magnolia. But I like, I just can't believe how well crafted this was. It is, it's so, so tense and so uncomfortable. And you just like, can't take your eyes away from anything that's going on. And nothing is like, explained to you like it's it doesn't hold your hand at all you're just very much thrown into the middle of this story and you have to piece it together with like the the most subtle clues then the actors like do all did such an amazing job of like helping you along with that but also just like the dialogue and the imagery and the it's all just like context clues and uh, for some reason i love that like i just think it's like so fun and it was it was perfect. You have to watch it. I hope it wins like best picture. It was so good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'll I'll uh, check it out. I haven't seen it up to this point because yeah. I guess I didn't really like I I didn't dislike, but I, I wasn't super in love with uh, the other stuff that I seen from Jane Campion. But uh, I'll check this one out. I'm I haven't seen anything it. else from her, but yeah, this one was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it was so awesome. Good. Yeah, uh, I watched the first Marx Brothers movie um, called The Coconuts, and uh, it was silly, but they hadn't found their groove yet. Uh, it was it was it was a good time. They hadn't quite really figured out their formula, which is to be expected. Uh, but I give that one six out of ten. It was still I just love the Marx Brothers. I think they're so funny. Um, then I watched Long Day's Journey into Night, which we talked about, and uh, man, that movie's the best. <laughs> really kind of just get gets gets you thinking nice uh then i watched stand by me which is uh what i've been told is a classic that i had never seen and uh, it was fun and it was a nice time and uh yeah i'm glad it's another one that it's like checked it off the list and glad i've seen it um i didn't necessarily like change my life or anything i still gave it an eight out of ten though i thought it was quite good um, and then this is also for the fiction and reality class. I watched 12 Monkeys, which is Terry Gilliam. Um, and it's like a loose adaptation of La Jete, which is a short film uh, that Chris Marker did in like the 60s or 70s. I don't remember, but th- I saw that one. And that one's one of my favorites. It was crazy. And uh, this 12 Monkeys one, I didn't get to see it in like the best uh, conditions. It was like embedded in the web page and one of those deals but uh, it was still fun and it was engaging and very interesting Thanks. um and uh, a real real thought provoking one but uh, i would at this i would say just check out uh la Jete instead because <laughs> that one's only like 20 to 30 minutes long and it uh really gets like really gets you i don't know Thanks. um yeah i give that one a seven out of ten hmm. awesome Cool. And I'm just going to not talk about all the ones from 1922 that I've been watching. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, uh, your turn then, I guess. Um, I watched The Tragedy of Macbeth by director Joel Cohen. Mm. Um, I gave it an 8 out of 10, but this is perhaps generous. <laughs> A low 8. <laughs> this, is, this is me trying to not blame them. I don't think I want to watch it again, and I don't know how much I understood it at all is to be clear is not like i don't know how much you could actually call it an adaptation because it is just verbatim the play of macbeth like word for word like it just is them reading macbeth which is so hard to understand (laughs) so i don't know like how much i really understood what was going on but i don't want to fault the movie for that like it's not joel cohen's fault that i don't know how to like hear shakespeare and comprehend it (laughs) And they did the absolute like best that they could to make it comprehensible anyway. And that's why I really liked it and gave it a high rating because even if you're not comprehending like the old, like ye old English or whatever that's being spoken, <laughs> there are many cool context clues <laughs> that are like helping you out. And the performances that were delivered were like insane. Like I just feel like the actors in this movie are not only good actors, but also smart people because I, the amount of understanding that you have to have about Macbeth to be able to read the dialogue the way that they did with the like enthusiasm, the way that they did, like I, you just have to get it. You have to like fully get it. They really seemed to all 
really get it, which was so cool to watch. Yeah. Um, it's all in black and white too, which just really adds something. And like the imagery of this movie is absolute perfection like through and through it was so cool so many scenes were just like incredible to stare at even while this nonsense is being spoken at you <laughs> not understanding um but like uh like the, the creepy weird sisters are there's only really one that speaks and that you see even though there's three sisters but she's a, contor- a contortionist contortionist i don't know but she's like i don't know she like bends up and crawls around the whole time she's like delivering her freaky witch dialogue and there's just tons of really really cool stuff like that like i don't know joel cohen just like took this material and like absolutely ran with it and made it into such a cool art piece that i enjoyed watching it despite not being able to tell you at all what happened there you go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I got through like most of the movie before I even knew who Macbeth was, which is like, embarrassing. Like every time a new character came on screen, I was like, maybe this is one's that Macbeth. But it was like Macbeth was like there from the get go. <laughs> and I didn't realize that until an embarrassingly long time. Oh my goodness. But, uh, Denzel Washington is Macbeth, right? Yeah. I feel like he was billed as Macbeth pretty yeah, heavily. Yeah, it was. He was obvious to most, but not to me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Uh, I rewatched La La Land. It's been, a, I like realize now that it's been a while since I've seen this movie, and which is like weird because I always cite it as like being very formative for me and like uh, getting into watching lots of movies. So it was really good to see it again. I feel like I've seen The Apartment five times since the last time I've seen La La Land. Because I watched The Apartment just the last couple of years. And ever since then, I've been like, it's been a regular staple. Mm-hmm. It's just an observation I have. It was so good to see uh, La La Land again, because it is one of my favorites. And I think it, it really kind of, uh, I don't know, gets at something that I haven't really, that I still haven't really seen a whole lot of other places. And uh, I absolutely adore this one. 10 out of 10. Around around the number five, my favorite movies of all time. And, uh, yeah, and then I watched Animal Crackers, which is the next Marx Brothers movie. I have it's their first five uh, features. Uh, I got it in a Blu-ray box set, which I think I mentioned in one of the episodes. But uh, this one I had actually already seen before. It was a rewatch, and uh, I talked about it on here already. So uh, I don't remember what month it was, but check it out there for my thoughts. I felt the exact same way about it. Um, okay, yeah, and I guess I just have two more, so it can be your turn again. Okay, nice. Is this uh, your last one or your second to last? This is my last movie that I want to like talk about in depth. Okay. Um, there are five movies that I watched this month that are all just like rewatches of like comfort movies of mine. Mm, okay. Which is crazy. <laughs> I can't like, <laughs> five five movies. I will just name them off for the record. Okay. <laughs> Fantasia and Fantasia 2000, both of which are perfect five stars for me. I love Fantasia and I rewatch them all the time. Shutter Island also <laughs> mm. <laughs> 10, 10 out of 10 for me. I don't know why. Every time I watch this movie, I recognize more flaws in it, but I don't care. <laughs> I love it so much. I think it's excellent. I rewatched Burlesque, also an absolute comfort movie of mine. I don't really know why. I love Cher a lot. I guess <laughs> that's why. <laughs> and I rewatched Grease, not because I wanted to, but because the six year old child that I babysit chose this one. And I was like, I don't think that's appropriate for you. And she was like, I've seen it a million times. And so I put it on and she knew like all the words to every song. So and you said a million, really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you've been alive long enough to see it a million times. <laughs> it was so fun to watch it with her. She just had a blast. And also I hadn't actually seen this one in forever and it is funnier than I remembered. Okay. This is a really like genuinely funny movie. And I feel like when I was in high school, a lot of people would like talk down on it about being the moral being that you like have to change yourself to get a man's attention. Ultimately, like Sandy ends up 
uh-huh. wearing leather or whatever at the end and then take a picture. <laughs> and I just think that that is so funny. <laughs> like, I, don't know. I don't think it's problematic at all. I don't know why. When I watched it, I was like, the moral is just like, be cooler and be open-minded. And I like that about it. Be cooler. <laughs> <It's true>. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, the only other movie that I actually want to talk about is Inherent Vice. Uh-huh. Um, Wait, real quick. Be yourself. Unless you can be cooler. Exactly. And if you can be cooler, just be cooler. Just be cooler. Just be the cooler version of yourself. There you go. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I really like Grace a lot. The music also is still so good. Um, anyways, yeah. I watched Inherent Vice in the movie theater, which is cool because all month my small theater was doing a Paul Thomas Anderson retrospective. Which oh, that is really cool. So many of them. Yeah. So this was the last one that they showed. Um and I really enjoyed it, uh, but it's not, it's no under the silver lake. <laughs> that's all I could think about the whole time. Yeah, that's fair. It's funny because it came before under the silver lake, but I just, I don't know. I, I really liked it and it was really so just fun and interesting to watch. It, it definitely held my attention the entire time. And I just really have found that I like these like weird LA detective stories that like don't actually care about like the mystery for, for some reason like yeah. it's just detective vibes <laughs> I think that that is so fun and I want to see more movies like that but it, this movie really is so similar to Under the Silver Lake which is my personal preference between the two uh, yeah I agree pretty much 100% with nice. what you said um, and especially the stuff about the detective stuff Yes, I think that's really what got me into all of my noirs that I've been watching here lately mm-hmm. that I mm-hmm. that, like watch now is because yeah. it's like, okay, well, this is cool. What, where did it come from? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I would really recommend this one. I gave it an eight out of 10. I really liked it a lot. The, the thing that kind of stands out a lot about this one to me from others was the dialogue. Like every single thing that a character says in this movie the whole time is almost like a riddle (laughs) and it's very it's all like flirty the whole time and they're just so witty and so clever and the way that they speak to each other is just like never normal conversation and I was so into it the entire I just thought that it was like super fun and and adorable honestly (laughs) it's really like a like well-written conversation I guess in that regard yeah yeah, I mean, that's a, that's another one that I want to rewatch because it's one that I didn't like a whole lot when I first watched it. I did, but I had like some problems with it. But then uh, over time, I think I liked it more. And also, the growlers are in this movie. I think that's cool. I they, didn't even notice that. They're, they're like whenever they uh, well, they they they're in like they're the band that I forget what the band is called, but there's a band that's at one of the parties, and that's the growlers. <laughs> crazy yeah yeah inherent advice yeah inherent advice not bad at all in fact pretty good cool um then i I, the next one i watched is called branded to kill this is a japanese noir directed by seijin suzuki who is a silly guy he's kind of a a troll but uh this is a silly movie it's just like Anything that like doesn't take itself seriously, but still kind of plays off this hard-boiled type of character, I think is so funny. And I just, I'm really, I'm really kind of getting into these like neo-noir type stuff that kind of just like play with these conventions um, that I think is really, really cool and fun. This one, I, it did have some problems, and it kind of lost me in a couple of places, but. Mm. Uh, yeah, a, a mixed bag that I think was overall positive, but uh, I think I personally like Suzuki's movie from the year before called Tokyo Drifter better. Mm. Um, but uh, this one's sillier and uh, kind of goes more crazier places, but I don't know. Some of it worked and some of it didn't for me, so mm. I give it a 7 out of 10. Nice. Um, and the last one I watched was another Marx Brothers selection uh, called Monkey Business which uh, I think really was their first one where they found their stride. And uh, I was laughing so much in this movie. I think it kind of falls off at the end, but like first half to two thirds of this are like so good. 
they just pure agents of chaos. <laughs> and uh, this one is interesting because they all are kind of um, versions of themselves, I guess. Like they don't have different characters' names; they're all their own names, and they show up together. And they're kind of just all doing their own thing, but like without kind of the constraints of an actual story that they're trying that they're telling they just do whatever and i i I think it's honestly even better for that it's not as good as duck soup which is still my favorite uh, Mm. which does kind of do that but kind of i don't know (laughs) i'll rewatch that soon enough and probably talk about it next month Nice. Um, but uh, this one is kind of i think their first really good one that like checks all the boxes so i give it eight out of ten and uh as of right now it's in my my uh Oh, actually, not anymore. Never mind. I was going to say it's in my top four uh, for the... Because that's my letterbox favorites is my top four first watches from the given year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it got, it got bumped out by one that I saw yesterday. So <laughs> mm-hmm. you can hear about that next month because <laughs> that is what we watched this month. Yeah. And brings the second section of our wrap-up to its conclusion. Thank you, everyone. Ta-da. Um, it was, a, it was an action-packed month. It really <laughs> fit a lot in there. Yeah, for real. Um, and then next week, I, if, if, if everything goes according to plan, we'll be doing our book club, our next book club. I mm-hmm. couldn't tell you the number now, 13 or 14, one of the two. I feel like it's 14. Um, but we'll find out next week. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we're reading uh, 100 Years of Solitude by uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um and uh yeah. <laughs> sure I had a good time. To. I'm excited to talk about it. I am too. Man, this book is uh, is so interesting. Yeah, I agree. Um but yeah, so that'll be next week. And uh after that, I think we're getting into our um hundredth episode special type stuff. So uh, I can't wait. Be those three weeks of episode 99, 100, and 101. We have some cool stuff planned. And uh, we're really excited to send it your way. So that'll be that'll be really cool. <laughs> All there is left to do is to recommend an album. Do you have an album to recommend for this week? Yeah, I have been listening to a lot of the Velvet Underground lately, so I'm going uh, to hell yeah! <laughs> I'm going to recommend their album Loaded, which I really enjoy. It has my current favorite Velvet Underground song on it, which is "Who Loves the Sun." Mm. A nice one. A nice one. A pleasant. <laughs> yeah, I have that album on vinyl, actually. Nice. Uh, my album is called Hollow Ground by an artist called Cut Worms. It's kind of folksy, kind of Americana, but with like not like a like a indie marketable kind of twist. I don't know. <laughs> um, I really like this guy. I think he's, he's really cool and nice. uh, gives the vibe of just the open road. I don't know. So good for road trips, I would say. And just... Uh, if you, if you don't live in America and you visit America, listen to this album. <laughs> awesome. I want to listen. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, cool. So that's all we have for this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, do great things this week. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye now. <laughs>